0: Heavenly Father, thank you for this good morning to be together. We thank you for this season of the year that reminds us so vividly of your goodness to us, your protection over us, your care of us. And Lord, this week we uh, get to transition to really think about your coming into our world to make a difference. Lord, the Bible tells us, it predicted this, but then it it certainly states it in the stories about your life here on earth that when you came, you came healing. Several of us in this room need a healing touch today. We've mentioned a few of those. There are many more that didn't get mentioned that are represented by maybe an upraised hand that says I've got a need, I've got a physical need or I've got an emotional need or somebody in, in my world, in my family really needs uh, some guidance some leadership. Lord Jesus, would you just reach down and touch us? It's one of the reasons you came here. I'm convinced, Lord, that you're in this room. I'm convinced that you care about the affairs of what we go through in our lives. So we are going to give you this time. We ask you to use your word to draw us closer to you And in some way, draw us closer to each other. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's go to Revelation 22. Now, let me give you a little bit of background here. (laughs) Some of the notes I've got here say, uh, how long do you expect to live? Well, if I eat like I did this weekend, I'm not going to live very long. Did you know that in 1850, as late as 1850, the life expectancy of people in the U.S., was 40 years old in, by 1850. Now, the statistic is skewed because there was such a high infant mortality rate in those days. Those born in 1850 who managed to live to be five years and older uh, could expect to live to their mid-50s. Now, today, our life, I don't want to leave you uh, depressed there, okay? Today, life expectancy is somewhere between 75 and 82, and it's going up uh, depending on kind of where you live and your lifestyle. A lot of that has to do with, uh, believe it or not, purified water, and a lot of it has to do with uh, uh, medical science and all those kinds of things. Well, um, what we're going to talk about today is... Um, on your outline here uh, you and I've heard it I've heard it all my life the only things you can the only two things you can count on are what death and taxes yeah, everybody knows that right what I want to talk to you about is a place where you can go to escape both what do you think would it be nice to go to a place to at least escape taxes but but in this one, you can escape not only taxes, but death as well. The Bible tells the story of the paradise of Eden in the first couple of chapters of the Bible. And uh, uh, we hear that, uh, we read there that uh, the, the, that paradise was lost because of sin. But if you remember, the problem was there was a tree in the middle of that garden called the tree of life. You remember that? That wasn't the one they ate from. Okay. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And literally, the Lord said, we got to get them out of this garden so they lest they eat of that tree and live forever. That was the plan, by the way. That plan's coming back at the end of things. And it, it really shows up again at the end of the Bible's story. In the very, and we're going to study really the very last chapter of, of the Bible today. So here's the idea. If you could live in such a place as to avoid, avoid both death and taxes, what would that place be like? We're going to read a little bit today about what that place would be like. Wouldn't you want to sell out completely, whatever it costs, to move there? I think I would. Now, John, can I, can I persuade you to come over and read the first five verses of Revelation 22? He's grinning at me like, I don't really want to do this. But he reads so well. And uh, we've got a couple that we'll read today, but here's where we'll start. First five verses of Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God, and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month Thank you, John. Now, there are two features that we want to talk about here, Um, lots of features. There's quite a picture here, and I've read a couple of different commentators who give a different kind of picture of of, uh, one of these features, but basically what we, we see coming back at the very end of the Bible, Now, by the way, the first chapter of the Bible talks about this as well, but at the end of the Bible, first couple of chapters of the Bible talk about the tree of life, the tree of life will be there. And this life-giving eternal river. Um, There's one picture earlier in the book of Revelation where where literally the river flows from the throne of God. Ezekiel describes that a little bit too. So we've got the tree of life that's gonna be there. And and it it stands by a refreshing, life-giving river. We kind of see those pictures there uh, wherever heaven will be. Those will be some of the features there. Now, One of the distinguishing features of this ever new city, we talked about it being new forever, is its clear, clear water source. You can put that first word in there. The water source is going to be clear, and it's also divine. Let me unpack that just a little bit. Uh, It will have both purity and clarity. It will be clear and pure. Now, is it possible for water sources in our world to be clear and not pure? Yes. Uh, Be careful. Uh, I I never made the mistake, because I knew enough, but when we've been to Colorado, you go to rushing rivers, and it just looks, you know, they make Coors beer out of it. It's got to be clean, right? Well, it's not. Okay? In fact, uh, rivers, uh, water that's rolling over rocks and that kind of stuff picks up some pretty nasty stuff on the way. So it might look clear, but it's not really pure. Be careful with that, okay? Uh, this is not about, uh, this is not a water purity talk. I'm just, okay, you don't, there's some kind of water that might look pure, but it's not. There's other water that will look brackish or not clean, but actually because of where it comes from, it will be okay. I, I can't tell you how many times I watched in my childhood my grandfather drink out of his pond, which he called a tank, and it was nasty-looking red water. And you know, he was he was he was irrigating crops with it, and he drank it, and he was fine. Um, he would cause me to drink it it Didn't taste very good, but I didn't get sick from it. So isn't it interesting that the water there will be both clear and pure? Okay, and it will be. Because there's no pollution allowed in this perfect city. Now it's interesting. I put the reference to Exodus 7:21. If you go back and read of the plagues, um, uh, the plagues of Egypt when when Moses is trying to get Pharaoh to let the people go, one of the plagues had to do with the Nile. And there's a picture there of the Nile becoming uh, foul and the fish die in the river, and it even describes the smell of it there. Well, what you and I got to know is that this city of pure gold features a river of pure water. I won't have to worry about that anymore. Um, I, I find that kind of good and, and encouraging, actually. Now, um, in addition, it's not just refreshing water. The other feature is that this is divine water. That goes in your second blank there. This is the water, I think at least, that Jesus told the woman about at the well of Sychar in John 4. Remember he said, uh, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for a drink. Remember he had asked for her for a drink. And he said, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for a drink. And I would give you a, some water that you would never thirst from again. Well, I wonder if this is that water that he promised. It's certainly an eternal water source. Um, It's life-giving. Now, you and I recognize uh, there's a phenomenon among us that I don't get, and I don't think I'm supposed to get. We spent, you ready for this? $2 billion last year. On bottled water. Am I supposed to get that? We spent two billion bucks last year on bottled water. Now, some of the people that live at my house, okay, will drink bottled water even though I think the stuff that comes out of the tap in my house is really good. I don't, in fact, and the stuff that comes out of the fridge is even better and it's filtered and all that. But they'll spend a buck or two for a bottle of water that I promise you, if you drink Ozarka water, okay, I guarantee you, I saw it on a motorcycle trip years ago, there was a guy at the Ozarka plant, he was behind a service station with a garden hose filling up those bottles. That's where it all comes from, all right? John says, no, it doesn't, it comes from Texas. I think it does come from Texas, doesn't it? but isn't it interesting that we spend money on on that particular commodity? My wife says you shouldn't have to spend you shouldn't have to spend money on water or dirt. And there's another commodity that I won't mention. But uh, anyway, fertilizer is the other one. So uh, now we are. Isn't it interesting that we're so obsessed with pure water, physical water? And yet, something I read this week said, but isn't it interesting that we are careless about the spiritual water that we consume? In this place, the water will be pure. It'll be eternal. It'll be divine, and it'll be spiritual. And you and I can kind of count on that. It'll be clear and divine. Now, verse two, let me read it for you again, okay? In the middle of the street... On either side of the river was the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, I can't really get, I hope you guys are better at this, but I read a couple of commentators and I still can't get the picture of this. This wide boulevard here, uh, what we need to think of is an immense street, a boulevard or a parkway so broad that a river, a lush, wide river, divides its lanes. Okay. Now, uh, dimensions are speculative here, but perhaps we can imagine a street that's 200 yards wide, two football fields wide, with a tree-lined river taking up the middle 100 yards of it, a single football field, and then these golden lanes that are 50 yards wide or so each on each side of the river. This may give us an idea of proportions but it's likely that the scene that John witnesses here is even grander than this. Now there's another thing that happens here. Look at verse two again and the description of the tree of life. I don't really get this. I, and I, I, I can't get a good description of it. There are some that will, that will take kind of this description off the table and say well, what he's talking about are it, there's, there's a grove of trees on either side and all those are the tree of life. But that's not what verse two says. It says it's a tree that is on both sides of the river. So evidently, John's description here, as best as he could do it, and by the way, he only had a limited amount of human terms that he had to use, it's a really immense tree, it's big. Um, It spans this wide river. Uh, I I just find it really intriguing Um, and and I'm gonna keep kind of studying that, try to figure exactly. The tree is huge. It's um, um. It it what you you and I need to understand is this is not a natural phenomenon. This is a supernatural phenomenon. This tree. Now what? How does it describe the tree, besides being big? Twelve different kinds of fruit. It's always bearing, which isn't that incredible. Always bearing fruit. 12 different kinds of fruit, a different fruit a month. This, like Harry and David, exactly. This is the original Harry and David's here, okay? Uh, except you don't have to pay 65 bucks for a dozen pears. you know, okay? Uh, uh, but the, isn't, can you imagine? I, one of the thoughts I had as I worked on this this week is I wonder what that fruit tastes like, but the truth is, it's gonna taste different every month. We don't have, Really, a concept of what this is—always bearing fruit, always um, uh, available—and it bears a different fruit a month. So here's this is going to be hard to put in those two blanks. But and by the way, I I changed my outline. You may want to change yours. Growing along an immense boulevard is a tree. I, I don't think it is multiple trees. I think it's a tree. More I study this, Joe. Don't you think so? You were shaking your head a while ago. One big old tree. So it will be everbearing and multi fruited. Everbearing, multi fruited. A couple of hyphenated things there. Okay. Um, Really, really interesting thing. Now, um, uh, it is, um, and what then happens when I eat of the tree? it's interesting healing actually is in the leaves let's save that for just a minute but when i eat of the tree i receive eternal life okay it's kind of this idea that this this fruit of this tree that ever changes so i'm going to want some all the time will provide for me or give me eternal life the water and the fruit Endow me with eternal life. Now, there's a second feature of the tree besides this crazy idea of multi-fruited and and ever-bearing. The tree also has some leaves that are important. That's uh, what we were talking about here. The leaves do what? The leaves heal. Interesting thoughts here. Trees um, trees typically don't have leaves that have uh, restorative or healing power. Now, immediately you're going to think about the aloe vera tree, aloe vera, you know, that you buy it, it's in, uh, you know, it's in uh, suntan lotion and all kinds of stuff to heal. But aloe vera is like a bush or it's kind of a, I've never seen one. What is it? Is it a cactus type thing? Okay, so it's a it's a, it's a succulent. It's low to the ground. It's not a tree with leaves. It's not that I put the, no, there probably are some leaves somewhere that have some healing process properties, but that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about who being healed. The nations. Now, go back with me. We read this last week. Go back to 224. I think I've got the wrong verse here, so hold on. Go to 2120. Just go back a page, 2124. My one didn't show up. The nations will walk by its light. It's talking about the light of God, the glory of God. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Okay? The kings of the earth. So it's talking about the nations and the kings of all the nations will bring their glory into this new city. We kind of talked about this a little bit last week. If then there are people in this city from all nations. When they get there, the leaves of the tree of life will bring healing. I want to submit to you that what this is talking about is what so many songs sing about this season of the year. What this tree provides is what no world leader has ever been able to provide, and that's world peace. You know, isn't it interesting? Uh, if, if somebody asks you, you know, what are you wishing for? Someone might say world peace. Sorry, it's not going to happen this side of this city. And it's interesting that the leaves of the tree of life will cause all these kings and all these magistrates and all these nations that come together to be able to live together in harmony. We have no concept of this, do we? Not in our world. Not on this side. But there, it'll be interesting that I will sit for eternity next to people that were, that were raised in places completely different from me. And what I'm going to find out is that we will have peace together. The nations are healed. Now, verse 3. Talks about another reality that will be there that is not here. We live in a sin stained world. Would you agree with that? There, the sin stain has been taken away. No longer will we live in a sin stained world. Let's go back to chapter 3. I'm sorry, again i got to write myself better notes. I want you to go with me to the very first of the Bible. Go to Genesis 3. We're going to talk about the entry of sin into this world and the reason why it's stained. It becomes stained here in verse 14. 3.14 and 3.17. That should be Genesis there, not Revelation. Okay? The Lord God said to the serpent, remember that guy? Because you've done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and the dust will you eat all the days of your life. What is that? It's a curse. Look at 17. The snake wasn't the only one that got cursed. Then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. So there's this curse that pervades this sin-stained world, since Genesis three, but there it will be a totally holy world. This world is stained with sin; that one has no sin stain. At a we had a family visiting over the weekend, and they were. Uh, I was uh, offering some shoes to a. To a nephew, and uh, that that I don't wear very much, and thought he needed more than I did, and I just you know got him out of the closet. I hadn't worn them in forever, and I thought you know I at least need to polish these bad boys before I turn them over. And so I polished three pairs of shoes really quick, and the jeans I was wearing got black shoe polish on them right here. Couldn't wear them the rest of the day. Had you know put a little spray and wash on them, hopefully I can get them out, get it out when I when I run it through the wash. But it just seems like so much of my world is stained. i got to tell you, so much of my world is stained with sin. But there, that one will be holy, only holy, no sin stain. One of the things that Rhonda and I like to do this time of year, well, she likes to do it, I play along, I, you're going to understand this, guys, when I admit it. We watch Hallmark movies this time of the year. Do you guys do that? Okay. Now, I don't know that you're going to be a guy to admit you like Hallmark movies. That's why I went that way. okay? But you know what I noticed watching one of these while we're kind of decorating the house? Is most of them are rated G. I didn't think anything was rated G anymore. Isn't there so many things that you and I have to protect our children from? I don't want them to see it. Um, uh, you know when I when we go to Michigan over Christmas, there'll be stuff that it'll be okay. You want to flip the channel real quick because the kids are in the room. Because our our world is just stained with this, uh, so much so that that it's odd to see something that's not stained. Well, it will be that way there, and much more so. In verse four, it, it says that when. Those of us who live there, when, if you decide to go there, you're going to be doing three things. The first thing that it says you're going to do is that you will serve God. That's in actually the last part of verse three. It's, it's very, that word there is a word that's very closely tied to the word worship. So if, if you think I'm going to be worshiping and praising God for all eternity, that's pretty well right, but you're also going to be serving God. So it's kind of the idea of the work of the people is to serve and praise him. And we're going to do that while we're there. So serve God, I'm going to do that. I'm going to secondly, and this is important to me, I bet it's important to you. I'm going to see his face. I read this week that in ancient times, to be allowed to see the face of a king was to be offered fellowship with him. If if I lived in a kingdom with a king, uh, I normally wouldn't be offered access to him in such a way that I would be able to see his face. But if I did, that was a a symbol that he wanted to be my friend, wanted to have fellowship with me. I, I find that kind of a wonderful thought. John says it this way in his kind of preamble to the gospel of John. No one has seen him at any time. That's what he says. Not even Moses. No one has seen him at any time. But he says. In John 1.18 he says. But the only begotten of the father. In your NIV Bible. It's going to say something like. Has made him known. In, in my Bible it's going to say. But the only begotten of the father. Has explained him. not that a wonderful thought? That the face of God for whom I have never had access, I'll now be able to talk to him face to face. He offers me that kind of friendship, that kind of fellowship. And then the third thing, so it says we're going to serve God. We're going to see his face. And then the closest thing that I could come up with, because it was talking about, um, it's going to sound a little bit like we're going to be tattooed in heaven. And I'm not really sure that's the case. If you guys have uh, uh, any, any tattoo issues, that's, that's your deal. But, but um, uh, here, the idea is we're going to wear his name. It's the image of his acceptance. It's the idea that there there will be a mark on me whether it'll be physical or not we don't know but there'll be a mark on me that everybody that I encounter will know I am his possession. I love that. Don't you want to be identified with him? I sure do. I want it to be noticeable about me that I am his and there that will happen. Well the last thing that's going to happen here in, uh, in our, the first section that John read is that night will no longer be an issue. Look back to twenty one twenty three. We read a little bit of this last week. The city has no need for the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of the Lord has illumined it. And its lamp is the Lamb. That's a capital L Lamb. Who's the Lamb? That's Jesus himself. When the sun is around, there's no need for light. It's kind of the issue here. You ever started a, a story, a short story, or a book, and it began with the words, it was a dark and stormy night. My dad used to tell me a story, and I started telling it to my kids, and I needed to start telling it to my grandkids. It was like, it went like this. We were sitting around the campfire one dark and stormy night, when the captain said, Alfonso, rise and tell us a story. So Alfonso rose, and the story goes like this. We were sitting around the campfire one dark and stormy night when the captain said, Alfonso, rise and tell us a story. you got to keep telling it over and over. And eventually they say, wait a minute. Okay, But it begins with that dark and stormy night. Did you know that that idea came from a book in 1830 called Paul Clifford, written by Edward Bulwer-Lytton? Often parodied, that line represents a sense of impending doom in a story. The darkness of nighttime is symbolic of evil. Bad tidings, forebodings, disasters. Nighttime is a, night, night, is a time of fear. It's If you have a fear of the dark, it's called eclophobia. I've never heard of that. But a lot of people have it. Now, isn't it interesting that God's solution in heaven to the problem of the fear of the dark. You should just do away with it forever. <laughs> love it. There, I'll need no flashlight. By the way, every flashlight I own doesn't work. What's that deal? It worked the last time. I just keep buying new ones and none of them work. There will be no need for a flashlight because the Lord himself, the Lamb, will be the light. Now, we've got to read two more verses. Would somebody kind of step up right here or pull that microphone and read verse 6 and 7 so you can hear it out loud? Somebody do that? Would you do that? No, you won't? Okay. Somebody's got to do it. Julie, would you mind to do it? Or one of you guys can be correct. Read it to us. He is like a tree, and it's a capital pea. Okay. Planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit, its season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does promises. Interesting, because Psalm 1, right? is It's talking, is talking about the blessed man. Okay? And it's interesting, though, that that same imagery, if you heard what is so read there, is, is the tree that is ever-bearing fruit, and it gives life, and leaves. And, yeah, interesting. I'll have to study that a little bit. But that's talking about the blessed man. Julie, would you read verse 6 and 7 out of Revelation 22? Then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place behold i am coming quickly blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book now if your bible thank you julie if your bible's like mine that last verse is red what does that mean jesus said it it's a promise now so that let's go back here the facets of this angel is going to say some things it's going to say this you can take it to the bank these are true we used this last week, but let me go back to 21.5. He who sits on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Right. For these words are faithful and true. You can count on it. The idea, they're true. Reliable. Secondly, they're prophetic. And I think that's important here. That's P-R-O-P-H-E-T-I-C. Prophetic means uh, the idea here is that uh, they believe those who were the original receivers of this uh, book were uh, they believe that the, that God gave the prophets their message and what they're doing is linking john's prophecy with the old testament prophecy they're saying here in ancient times uh, uh, that both the prophets uh, the prophets were considered to, to, to speak the word of God so now John has been given the prophecy of God it identifies it there. And then third, the things that are gonna happen here are gonna happen soon. Now, there's a little bit of a problem with that, don't you think? Because they said soon, and it's been at least 2,000 years since this was written. What's up with that? Well, don't you think, and I'm just gonna make a, a little bit of a stretch here, because it's the first Sunday in Advent. that. By the way the, the the word advent simply means coming. He's coming. Do you know that the people in the old testament day and who lived between the close of the old testament and the book of Malachi and the and the the darkening of the dawn of uh, the the, uh, the brightening of the dawn at the beginning of the new testament message there was about 400 or so years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And what you and I need to celebrate today is recognizing the darkness that they lived in that we can't really understand, waiting for the Messiah to come, every day wondering, is this the day? That's why, by the way, we use lights on trees this time of year because the light dawned when he came. I need to think about that a little bit in that Advent darkness, that pre-Advent darkness. When I think about the 2,000 years that have ensued since Jesus was here the first time, he said, I'm coming back, and he's gonna come back. But I've gotta kind of deal a little bit with that that same feeling of hopefulness here. 2,000 years of waiting. Now, one thing that I can count on, according to verse 7, is that he will return. I don't know exactly how that's going to happen. There are a lot of things said about that. All I know is this. As, he be- as the book begins, as John begins to get this revelation, in the third verse of the book, chapter 1, verse 3, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. He talks over and over about the things soon to come. Remember that God lives outside of time, and that's kind of a problem for me. But I'm gonna tell you this. When he comes, I was watching a TV show last week and it was, there was there were like three lines. You know how you watch one of these shows and there are kind of three lines of the story going on at once and at the end they finally converge and you go, oh, okay, I get it. You know all the mystery in this world, in this life, Things that you don't understand, you're not supposed to understand. One of these days, when he comes, it's gonna be, oh yeah, I get it. In a moment, the Bible says, in a twinkling of an eye, because we will see him as he is. I find comfort in that. I find encouragement in that. I think it's a beautiful thought. The one thing that we can count upon is that he will return. And when he does, it will all make sense. In a moment, we who see him, it will all make sense. So, here's the promise. Ready? Here's, we're gonna end this. I've got four minutes. I'm watching the clock, by the way. Unending day, no nighttime, ever pure water that I don't have to pay two bucks a bottle for. Ceaseless joy forever a priceless view how do I get there (laughs) I want to go there don't you how do I get there what's the price tag well the truth is how I get there is by following him there He knows the way. He's the only one that knows the way. And if I follow him today, I'm going to follow him all the way there. What's the price tag? Well, here's the really, really, really good news. The price tag you can't afford, but it's been paid already. I can't make it any better than that. The price tag is priceless, but it's been paid already. Now, I'm going to go back. I put a reference here, if you want to go with me, to Luke 18.8. These are the words of Jesus talking about his return to that city or to take us to that city. And he's going to say, 18.8, don't miss these words. I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes he asks a question. Will he find faith on the earth? My question to you is, when he returns, will he find you faithful? Let me define that in two ways just as we close. May he find you, may he find me in our appropriate place I want to be in that place. Wherever he wants me to be, that's where I want to be. I want to be in that place. Um, um, We used to sing a song, maybe not in this church, but in other churches I've been in. May he find me in my place when my king shall call for me. I want to be whatever that place is. That's part of being faithful to the end. I realize that this has been a long waiting period. But I want to be faithful to the end. May he find me faithful in my place. And then the second component of being faithful when he comes is this. I want him to find me doing his thing, not mine. A lot of my life is occupied with doing my thing. True of you, maybe? You guys are a lot more holy than I am, so maybe not. What I wanna recognize is that if I'm gonna be found faithful, I want him to find me in the right place. I don't want him to have to go looking for me. And I want to be doing whatever it is that he deems important when he comes, not necessarily what I think is important. And the only way I'm going to find that is in his word. Every day, he tells me where to be, he tells me how to walk, and he tells me what's important to him. Can I tell you? This is a place I don't want to miss. Virgil will be there. My mom and dad will be there. Roy T. will be there. And Jesus will be there. I just don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss this water. I don't want to see this tree and I want to eat of it forever. Can I tell you something else? And this is crucially important. I want to see you there. The price has been paid. <laughs> it, it's really as simple and as hard as just saying yes to the Lord Jesus. If you haven't yet done that, this season of the year, wouldn't there couldn't be a better time. To the next time you see a star on top of a tree or you see a Christmas lights in front of somebody's house, you say, I know the light of the world. It's alive inside of me. Just say yes. Next week, next three weeks, we're gonna be in Luke 1 and 2. You ought to know more about Luke 1 and 2 than you'll ever wanna know, okay? After three weeks together doing that and uh, I'll see you next week. God bless you. Merry Christmas.